0: Well, hey everybody. So good to see you. Hi, I'm Brad Powell, your guest speaker this weekend. I was I was wondering if I'd ever be invited back. What a great and unforgettable summer. Haven't our guest speakers been phenomenal? I mean, they've been great. It's It's such a privilege for us here at Northridge to be exposed to such diverse and yet gifted, committed, talented people of God. It's just such an interesting thing. And this is what I hope you really get from this unforgettable summer and all the great, great people of God we've experienced. God can use anyone who opens their life to Him. God speaks through people of different ethnicities and different economic backgrounds and educational backgrounds and different experiences and from people who were once atheists to people who grew up in religion and you name it God if they give him his heart can speak through them and we've had that great privilege don't listen for the voice of God through one human voice make sure you know God speaks through many voices he is a very very big God and we've had a great privilege of experiencing that here at Northridge and I tell you when I'm off the platform um, I have the great opportunity to do two things one is to start filling up so that I'm as we go into the next ministry season fresh and renewed and can be creative instead of you know formulaic but also I get to do a lot of leading in the background and so much has happened this summer to move us forward. You're going to be experiencing in the fall and the new ministry season. The winter is going to be great. And I think God's going to use it to impact our lives. Great things are going on here. But you saw one in Northridge News. God has now made us one church in four locations, which is really, really exciting. We have... Northridge, Gross Eel, which he opened up. We had the first event last weekend. It was so exciting to be there. Over 300 people down in Gross Eel and committing to being volunteers and being a part of the opening of that ministry. And if you're from, you know, the South region or downriver area, I mean, you could be a part of making a huge difference in waking the world up to Jesus in Gross Eel. It's awesome. But it's not just Gross Eel. We also have Northridge Brighton. We've had Northridge Brighton for several years, but you may not know. Uh, God opened up the opportunity for us to get a permanent facility for Northridge Brighton and it's going to be right downtown Brighton off of Main Street. We're in the renovation process now and hoping to open it the beginning of 2015. It's just exciting so I'm proud of all of you at Northridge Brighton and all that's going on there. And then this year we're going to celebrate the fifth anniversary of Northridge Celine. It's growing, it's impacting the world out in that area and I'm excited we're looking for a place. We haven't found it yet but looking for a place where they can be housed permanently. So much is going on if you here in Plymouth Would just get busy doing something That'd be awesome uh, Actually, you guys doing great things here I, It's just really neat to be a part of a church like this In the beginning of the summer I got to kick this series Unforgettable off And I did it by Kind of digging into some life lessons That God had used to Literally transform The way I live my life The way I love in my relationships The way I lead in, in my ministry position and, and I tell you I these life lessons are impacting and I'm going to continue this weekend and next weekend as we close out this unforgettable series in doing that and, and I just need to tell you right up front this weekend's unforgettable life lesson is one that rocked me it flipped my world from what I thought was right side up to upside down but truly right side up and I think it can do the same thing for you because so many of us are are longing for and looking for life in all of its fullness and success in the wrong things, in the wrong way. I've had, I've had the privilege of seeing and experiencing a lot of people in a ton of different places and circumstances in life. And it's an undeserved privilege I've been given, but I've been able to experience and get to know people from the White House in Washington D.C. to the slums of Mumbai, India. I've, I've gotten to rub shoulders with and get to know people sitting in corner offices in some of the great skyscrapers and some of the great cities around the world, but as well some people who make their offices on busy streets in third world cities where they're just knocking on car door after car door trying to sell a trinket so they can just buy bread for that day I've experienced people who live in homes that for most of us would be like a hotel and yet I've spent time and done community with people in makeshift tents in Port-au-Prince Haiti and the great discovery that I've had in all of these experiences has blown me away because more often than not I have found that the happiest people the most satisfied, the most fulfilled, the most content to be in the poorer less desirable places that I've been not the richer and most comfortable it's counterintuitive, it's odd, isn't it? because you kind of think that Well, it's the people who have everything we're all striving and clamoring for that would be the happiest and the most fulfilled and the most content and the most satisfied and feel the most securely successful, but it's just not true. And every once in a while, a tragic event happens where we get a firsthand look at that, whether we travel or not, like we've had in the last week when Robin Williams successful wealthy recognized loved proved by the actions of his life that he wasn't experiencing the best of life that he had everything that most people think happiness is bought with and he didn't have happiness at all he was far from it the happiest people the most successful people the most satisfied people are are not the people who have everything most people live for very often it's just the opposite. But, but that's really not the important issue. The important issue is why. Why? And what I've found as I've looked into God's word and as if I, I've experienced life, so much of my life in the wrong way and I've watched others do the same is, is that genuine, genuine success, life experienced to the full satisfaction fulfillment and everything we're looking for in life doesn't have anything to do with what's on the outside of our lives doesn't have anything to do with whether we're wealthy or poor, whether we're successful or unsuccessful, whether we're recognized or have accomplishments or not, because the truth is there are happy people in both circumstances and miserable people in both circumstances. There are fulfilled people on both sides of the spectrum and unfulfilled people on both sides. It has nothing to do with what's on the outside. It has everything to do, being truly successful, living life to its fullest experiencing life at its best has everything to do with what's on the inside not the outside and yet most of us are looking for it in the outside because we've already found the inside bankrupt and we're trying to change the inside by changing the outside but it just doesn't happen the inside stays bankrupt The difference between those who make the most of life and experience it most fully and are truly successful in life and those who don't boils down to a word. And you might even scoff at the word at first, but it's true. And I'm going to show you biblically. And when I learned it, it changed me. The difference between those who truly have life and don't boils down to this word, attitude, Attitude. Now, uh, this weekend's unforgettable lesson, the one that changed me so much, and I'm going to give it to you in the cliche form that it was given to me in, even though I'm not normally a cliche guy, but I'm going to just share it with you how I learned. And it's this my attitude determines my altitude. My attitude determines my altitude. Now, now, if you're newer to Northridge, you need to know that's not wording that I would normally use. Not like cliche guy. I, that's just not me. It sounds a little corny, quite frankly. It sounds a little archaic. It's not culturally relevant language. It sounds a little bit trite and superficial. But when you really dig down into the concepts of those words, my attitude determines my altitude. It becomes a powerful, life-changing principle, and even more than that, it's true. It's a truth that can set you free. Now, you might not know where the phrase comes from, but if you've ever done any flying, or most of you know about flying, attitude deals with the tilt of the plane. If it's a positive attitude, the the nose of the plane is pointing up and it's going up. If it's a negative attitude, it's coming down. And so attitude determines whether you're going up or down in flying. So attitude determines your altitude in life, how high you go, how well you live, whether your life is lifted up or pulled down. Now, in, in the Bible, where I find this principle really clearly is in the parable of the talents. In fact, all of the life lessons, this is the fourth I'm sharing in this series, come from the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. You can read it on your own, but, but there was this wealthy landowner, this guy with all the resources, and in the story Jesus is telling, he's using this wealthy landowner, the one with all the resources, as an illustration of God. And then this wealthy landowner distributes a portion of his resources to three of his servants, servants who have nothing on their own. And so that's like us, because we have nothing on our own. Everything we have is given to us by God. And so Jesus is saying wealthy landowner, three servants, Uh, wealthy landowner gives servants some, some of his resources. It's God in us. And then Jesus tells the story of these three guys. The the wealthy landowner leaves and leaves these resources in the hands of these servants and, and the three act very differently. Two similar, but one very differently. The two... You know, they go outside of their comfort zone. Their servants—they've never had resources, and all of a sudden, they go, "Okay, we've got to live differently now. We've got to do something. We've been entrusted with resources that aren't ours." And so, they took the risk and overcame the challenges, and learned what they need to learn, and created what they needed to create it. And they actually did something with those resources. And when the wealthy landowner came back, he found that praiseworthy. He said, "You guys did great. Well done. I'm proud of you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest more in you." But when he came back, he also found the third guy who didn't do anything like the first two guys. This guy basically said, I I can't do anything with this. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been trained for this. Why is he making me invest his resources? Why doesn't he take care of his own crap, you know? And he says, I'm not going to put myself at risk. No matter what I do, he won't be happy with me. And so he just buried it in the ground. And when the guy came back, he just gave him back what he had. And I said, that's not why I gave you these resources and he just castigated him he was a failure and what I find as our unforgettable life lesson in that parable is attitude really does determine our altitude it did for them it really did because when you look at the parable you find the difference between the two successful guys and the failure was clearly inside them not outside of them because the outside circumstances were exactly the same they were in the same circumstances they were three guys noticed by the landowner and given resources all of them given privilege given potential given opportunity every single one of them had the same circumstances but they did very different things with it why attitude here's how the two successful servants looked at it they looked at it through the eyes of i can i've never done it before Never had to do it before. Didn't know I'd have the opportunity. But boy, now I've been given. I think I can do it. I'll figure it out. It's worth trying. I'll make my best effort. I'll, I'll believe that the master, when he returns, will honor my effort, even if I blow it, even if I mess up. I think giving my best, doing all I can, will pay off in the end. And for them, it did. But the other guy had a very different attitude. The other guy looked at this thing, and he said, you know, I, I can't do it. It's beyond my ability. I wasn't raised to be a landowner. I wasn't raised to invest wealth. I was raised to be a slave. I can't, it's beyond my ability. It's beyond my education. It's beyond my experience. Inside, he said, it's not worth getting off the couch for this because I believe even if I give my best and do my best, it won't be enough for the master, and he'll just smack me down like everybody else has ever smacked me down. It's not going to pay off in the end, so I'm not even going to try. And he failed. But attitude determined their altitude. Attitude determined their outcomes. Attitude determined the two that were successful, and attitude determined the one that was a failure. Attitude made the difference. And according to God's word, now listen, this is where it gets relevant. According to God's word, the same is true for us Those of us who are making the most of life aren't doing it because we have necessarily better circumstances than others. Those of us who are making the most of life sometimes have the least amount going for us. The difference is what's going on inside. Its attitude makes the difference. And the Bible is filled with this truth. This isn't like some superficial talk that, you know, my pseudo theology is creating. This is the Bible. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is written by a guy named Paul, who known as Saint Paul or the Apostle Paul. And look what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, now note these four words, think about such things. Now, that word think there really helps to identify the truth of this passage. It doesn't say do such things, think about such things. Why? Because these are things you can't do, these are things that you have to think, and when you think them, they change what you do in life, they're attitudes. I mean, think about it. Let your inside wiring choose to focus on and feel and see the world through the eyes of true and goodness and nobility and right and purity and loveliness and admirability. I mean, this is where it is. Think about it. Let these represent your attitude. And then it says, if these represent your attitude, then you'll experience what's excellent and praiseworthy. Now, the Bible applies really well to the Bible, and so, in the parable of the talents, what happens when the wealthy landowner comes back and he finds the two who did their best with what he'd given them? What did he do? He praised them. Well done! Excellent! That's fantastic! What does Philippians 4, eight say? If you're ever going to experience excellence in life, the most of life, if you're ever going to experience God saying, well done, Your life is praiseworthy. You're making the most of life. You're experiencing true success and true fullness. It's going to come when your attitude is positive like this. But what did he do to the one whose attitude was messed up? He says, You blew it. What a mess. Away with you. No excellence, no praise, because his attitude was so messed up. Attitude determines our altitude. I want to show you an example from Jesus' ministry, just so you can see it unfold in his life as well. In Matthew chapter 13, we find an odd experience in Jesus' life. You know, he's known for doing miracles, right? You know, he healed the blind, he healed the lame, he raised the dead. I mean, pretty cool stuff, right? But then he went to his hometown, and the Bible says he really couldn't do much of that. I mean, people all around the world were experiencing God's power unleashed in unbelievable ways, but people in his own hometown kind of didn't get much of it. How come? Look at Matthew 13, verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of what? That was really pitiful. (laughs) He didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of what? Faith. Faith. What's faith? It's an attitude. Do I trust or don't I trust? That's an attitude. Do I believe or don't I believe? Do I dismiss him or do I embrace him? That's an attitude. It's an internal way of feeling about the world and looking at the world that then motivates different choices. And since they had this negative attitude towards him, this dismissive and doubtful and skeptical attitude towards him, they didn't get to experience his power. And I'm going to just tell you, if I can give you an aside... I don't know many people who don't long to experience the, the real power of God in their lives these days. Most of us are going, oh, if God would show up like that in my life, I'd serve him more. I'd love him more. The reason he doesn't do many miracles in our lives, I believe, is because we've got the wrong attitude. He can't. He won't. We're not worthy of it instead of faith. Attitude determines your altitude. Now, what I want to do with the rest of this talk, and maybe even lead into next weekend, is I want to share some specific attitudes that that God has used to literally transform me, to help me to lift the altitude of my life, to fly higher in life, to... Look at some specific attitudes that have raised my level of living and positively influenced who I am as a human being, and I want to share these things with you in hopes that, that they may help you as well. And so let's just jump right in. Here, The first attitude, and I'm phrasing them in the form that I received them in, just so you know, this is not my intellectual property. I didn't originate these things. I'm not trying to make it seem like I made this up, but, but this is how it came to me, the, the, this attitude. It's not what happens to me, but in me, that really counts. This is an attitude. It's not what happens to me, you know, the circumstances and the conditions and the settings and the stuff that's happening to me that counts in life. It's what happens in me as I'm experiencing life that really matters. Now, don't get this saying wrong, this attitude wrong. It's not saying what happens to me doesn't matter because yes, it does. What happens to you matters. What happens to you has to shape the way you make decisions inside. But, but what happens to you isn't the most important. What happens in you is the most important. And why you need to know this, why I need to continually remind myself of this is because most of us blame the failures in our lives, blame the condition of our lives on the stuff that happened to us. Well, if you knew what my parents did to me, you'd understand why I'm so angry and bitter and insecure and don't live life to the full. If you knew what my boss did to me, if you know what my spouse did to me, if you knew what my kids did to me, if you know what the world did to me, you'd understand why I am so messed up. No, that's just really not true, no, let me acknowledge, what's happened to you may beyond anything I could have ever comprehended. I mean, what's happened to you might be so devastating and destructive and dark that if it had happened to me, I'd be in my closet in the fetal position with my thumb in my mouth and never doing anything again. Maybe that's true. But what's happened to you isn't what has most shaped your life what's happened in you is what shaped your life because you see what's happened to you can't make you angry can't make you bitter can't make you miserable that's something you have to choose what happens to me though it's important doesn't count as much as what happens in me. It's an attitude. I love how Walt Emerson said this. He said, "What lies behind us in our lives, what lies before us in our lives, are tiny matters compared to what lies within us." Man, that's true. But instead of quoting, you know, guys from history, why don't we quote God's word, guys He spoke through, and one of those was Paul. I already read you Philippians and. I want to talk through this whole book a little bit because, because in this book, Paul's in prison. He's in prison most likely in Rome. He's facing an uncertain future. In fact, in his mind, I'm sure he's facing death. And think about this. All of his dreams are being dashed against the rocks of his reality Everyone he had invested in almost had forsaken him. He's all alone. He's literally in shackles in a dungeon. It's not in the day where they had lifetime fitness centers in their prisons. They didn't have 61 inch TVs, you know, they didn't have civil rights groups. I mean, he was in a horrendous situation in darkness, in prison, and he was there unfairly. And he thought he was going to die. and he wrote this letter to a church in a city called Philippi and look what he said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice (laughs) what? that's stupid I mean I'm being serious it's like that doesn't sound right now, I know what it is to rejoice, I know what it is to celebrate, I, I know, but I do it when it's normal, like something just great happened in my life. I mean, I'm on the mountaintop, the sun is shining, it's awesome. I go, hey, rejoice, God's good. But when I'm in prison, when all my dreams are being robbed from me, when the world is doing to me everything it can do to destroy me, I don't say, rejoice in the Lord always. I, you know, I give it hand gestures, arm gestures. I use words I'd never say on this platform unless I slip, which will ruin my whole career. I mean, it's like, I, I, it's awful what goes on in me when things are going wrong. But here we have this guy... Everything is going wrong. The world is doing to him destructive, destructive, debilitating things. And he writes this book and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. In fact, if you read through this short little book, four chapters long, four chapters, you'll find the words joy and rejoice 16 times. They're only used like 50 sometimes in the whole you know, New Testament. It's 16 times in this one little book. How does he do that? What's wrong with him? Does he have some kind of drug that we no longer have in this world? I mean, where does he get this from? Well, here's where he gets it from. He really embraced this attitude. It's not what happens to me. It's what happens in me that really counts. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. His joy wasn't from a big home or a big accomplishment or a wealthy portfolio or being considered a success. His joy wasn't from the outside. His joy was on the inside, which is why he said, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are. I can be experiencing the best of times or the worst of times, but I can still have joy. It reminds me of one of my favorite sayings. And by the way, I'm a little bit off, so you have to understand, I'm very sarcastic, pretty caustic and cynical, and so my favorite saying has nothing to do with truth. It's just, a great saying and here it is fake joy fake joy is better than genuine depression yes (laughs) especially when it's your genuine depression look it when you're genuinely depressed when you're around me would you please fake some joy I mean seriously (laughs) just because you're miserable doesn't mean I have to be miserable when I say how you doing lie I'm not looking for the life story of your misery, you know? Fake joy, better than genuine depression. And I'm just joking, kind of. And same thing is true with me. You know, when I'm genuinely depressed, man, I I feel better getting up and faking joy. How you doing? Great! My wife hates me, my kids hates me, I want to die. Great! Fake joy, better than, you know what the problem with that saying is, as much as I like it? It's stupid. Do you know what fake joy is? Fake. Do you know what genuine depression is? Genuine. You can't change it by faking it. It's dumb. doesn't work. And yet this is the world we live in where we're faking joy instead of facing our reality. But you say, okay, well, if I can't fake it, then... If my genuine reality is miserable like Paul's was, I mean, isn't he talking rejoicing, Lord? Always fake it, fake it. No, he's not. You know what he's saying? He's not saying fake it. He's saying faith it. Faith it. F-A-I-T-H. Faith joy is better than genuine depression because faith is not something we fake, in spite of the fact that some of you haven't experienced the reality of it. Faith Joy is based upon the reality that God is more real than the world we live in because without God, this world wouldn't exist. He created it. Faith is based upon the real confidence that when God says something is true, it's true. When God makes a promise, he delivers it. And the way that Paul could say, I can rejoice in the Lord always, even when what the world is doing to me is debilitating because God is a bigger reality in my life than the experiences I'm having in my world faith joy is better than genuine depression and faith faith is an attitude Wow faith is something that releases God inside of us instead of internalizing so much that's happening outside of us now how did Paul respond to bitter times in such positive ways by faith now that's so easy to say but it's so difficult to do right and I just wanna kinda explain a little bit to you because if you're going to see as what's going on in you as being more important than what's going on to you then you've gotta get this idea of faith you see by faith Paul knew that what was in him and I'm trying to phrase this in a way that can capture for you Paul knew by faith that what was in him was more important than what was happening to him. And what was in him? Well, it's really not a what at all. It's a who. Jesus was in him. And because Jesus was in him, he had something of greater value and of greater worth and of greater consequence in him than anything could have outside being done to him. In fact, he even says it in the book of Philippians. He says, you know, I've lost everything in life. I had fame, I had fortune, I had all, I've lost it all. And yet in losing it all, I have found my everything, the surpassing knowledge of knowing God. And he says, Jesus in me is far more important than the everything that's been done to me. In Colossians 1.27, he's talking about the great mystery of faith. And you know what he says? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not in getting rich. The hope of glory is not being successful. The hope of glory is not being famous. Come on. You can still be so sorrowful that you don't want to live if you're there. The hope of glory is in you. And it's Jesus. And that only happens by faith. He says, look at my whole world's falling apart around me, but that's okay, Jesus is in me. Can I ask you a question? What does your attitude embrace as more valuable? Jesus in you, or what's going on around you? If you're like me, it's the around you part. It's destroying us. Once you have Jesus in you by faith, If everything else is taken away, you still have everything. Everything. Paul, by faith, knew that what was going on in him, not what was in him, but what was going on in him, was positive. Even if everything happening to him was negative. In Philippians, again, he's in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Nothing can stop it. He's in prison. I'm going to tell you why you can rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm going to tell you why you can make the most of life, even in the worst circumstance. I'm going to tell you how you can be true successes. It's by realizing what happens to you doesn't count as much as what happens in you. Because here's what I know, Paul said, here's what I know. You can be confident of this. That's an attitude. If God started a good work in you, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. I I know. Look at I can make my life look rosy on this platform or even if I'm not making it look rosy, you can interpret it as rosy. Oh, what's it like to be him? And, And I can look at you and go, man, you guys have it so easy and you have it so good and we could look at other people but here's the reality. All of us are experiencing things happening to us that are devastating. Life's not easy. Life's difficult. Life's hard. Life's challenging. Dreams usually never come true in the way we envision them. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, that means God's begun a good work in you. And it doesn't matter what's taken away from you or who hurts you or how badly they betray you. You can know that the positive work that God is doing in you is greater than the negative work being done to you. And when you know that, when this is your attitude, you can rejoice in the Lord always and again, I say rejoice. There's one last thing he did by faith to make this attitude reality. By faith, he chose, he chose, and you have a choice, I have a choice, he chose to be positive rather than negative. <laughs> I've been alive a while, and if I'm being honest about me, negative comes naturally. I've been around you a lot. Negative comes supernaturally. I mean, we interpret everything to negative. It's the worst case scenario. You can find someone who's been sincere for 20 years. One thing you don't understand, and now their whole life is defined by insincerity. We're just so negative. You know what Paul did? He chose a positive attitude instead of a negative attitude. And you need to know this. Ultimately, we blame everything that's happened to us for our attitude, but ultimately, your attitude is determined by your choice. Period. You've chosen it. I've chosen it. Whatever attitude you have right now, you chose. If it's negative and destructive and bitter and angry, yes, stuff's happened to you, but you chose those attitudes. I love. There's a story about a mother and a daughter And they were shopping I'm sorry to be so cliche But I'm in church I have to tell the truth And so uh, there was this mother and daughter And they were shopping And the mother that came in the store And the mother looked at the daughter and says Did you see that clerk give me a nasty look When we walked in the store And the daughter said No she didn't mom You had that nasty look before we ever got in the store and that's the truth of our life right we choose our attitudes we'd love to blame others but we choose them in fact I want to show it to you in graph form it really helped me when someone showed me this it's a it's an attitude graph where our attitudes come from and you divide it with a little diagonal line there and on this side of the graph are conditions conditions these are the conditions that are put on us the circumstances the settings of our life on this side of the graph are our choices the things we choose to do this is the stuff that happens to me this is the stuff that happens in me the stuff i choose on this graph this represents early life before we really have a lot of choices this represents later life as choices start developing in our life Age is increasing as we go here. Now, early in life, let's be honest, conditions define our whole world. Conditions define our attitude and our responses, everything, because everything's involuntary. When you're a baby, it's involuntary. If you have parents that that take care of you, you didn't choose it, it was chosen for you. You have parents that don't take care of you, you didn't choose it, it's involuntary. You have you have parents that powder your little bottom and put the little cream there so you don't have ouchy ouchies down there. You didn't choose it. You have parents that say, I had diaper rashes, you're going to have them too. You know, that you didn't choose it. It's all condition. You know, so, Wah! I mean, a lot of times that's the only response you got because all you have are conditions. Others are choosing for you. All you can do is react. But as life goes forward, The conditions and their influence on your attitude is far less than the choices, because now you're making choices. Now it's not involuntary, it's voluntary. Yes, they still hurt you. Yes, they still neglect you. Yes, they still betray you. But now you can go, hey, it's my choice. Your pitiful behavior towards me can't touch me. Just because you're a rotten individual doesn't mean I have to be a rotten individual. Just because you betrayed me doesn't mean I have to be a betrayer. I can choose to forgive. I can choose to release. I can choose to love. I can choose what I'm going to become. I don't have to settle for people who have told me I'm going to amount to nothing. I can choose to amount to something. I have choice. I don't have to just react now. I can initiate. And unless you're an infant in diapers, this is what's determined the quality of your life. Because it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you, and that's a choice. Can I ask you, what kind of choices you've been making recently? Have you been choosing to think on the right things, to be wired with the right attitude, or are you choosing to be negative? The choice is yours. Now, it's one thing to know this, right? It's one thing to know it. It's a whole other thing to do it. Let's say we all agree. Yeah, attitude's a choice. And mine sucks. Okay. Sometimes, don't you just need a little encouragement? Don't you just need a little motivation to make the right choice? Don't you just need some outside influence to come in? Come on, come on, you can do it. Don't you just sometimes wish there was someone who would give you a pep talk so that you could make the right choice? You're in luck. Our team has found just the person.
1: I think we all need a pep talk. The world needs you. to Stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. But you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. A heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. The pirate's broke. Not cool, Robert Frost. But well, if there really were two paths, I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless your dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. What Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What would be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome. Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. So get to it.
0: attitude determines your altitude. It doesn't matter as much what happens to you as it does what happens in you. But, you know, a talk like this can, with all of its good intentions, be really destructive. Because you see, every single one of us has reacted so much according to what's happened to us that we've allowed unbelievably bad crap to happen in us we've already messed up. So you hear a talk like this and you go, oh my gosh. I've blown it. I've blown it. Get, it. get any kind of distance into your life like I have. And I've littered so much of my history with reacting to what's happened to me in ways that have messed up what goes on in me that I feel like a failure. And it feels really final. I feel like the the failure in the parable of the talents so often where I go, you know what, it doesn't matter what I try. It doesn't matter. I've already had the resources buried so long. I've already messed up so much that there's no way I can turn this ship around. But you need to know that that's wrong. Did you know that the whole reason Jesus came so that failures like us wouldn't have to be defined by our failure anymore do you know that? this is important every single one of us has failed I know we put on like we haven't we go yeah I'm like the two successes in the parable of the talents yeah it's those other people you know, every, I've, I've never had anyone okay I've had a couple people but the majority of people I go hey, what do you think God's going to say to you when you get there uh, well done no he's not I'm going to tell you, I mean, if it's based upon who I am, he's going to say, Why'd you even show up? You know, you're not staying here long. You know, that kind of deal. Except for one thing Jesus. You see, Jesus made a new attitude possible that we can't have on our own. And this is the new attitude failure is not final. Failure's not final. You failed. So have I. But failure doesn't have to be final. Peter, in the Bible, I mean, he became, you know, a great man of God. But he was a mess up. I mean, at the the time Jesus needed him most, after he said, I'll stand with you. I love you more than everyone else. I'm committed. I'll never betray you. At that time, when Jesus needed him most, Spit in Jesus' face three times. Denied his existence three times. Denied that he knew him three times. And then the rooster crowed. And, and Peter realized in the moment that God gave me an opportunity to become successful, I blew it. But you know, that's not the end of Peter's story. Because then Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus handpicked Peter to give the very first talk in the very first church service after the Holy Spirit came down in this world in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost and Peter became this great man of God and what was the foundation of Peter's life the same as mine and yours failure you know what the wages of our failure our sin is it's death it's death that's what God says you know what that means that that means we're shut out from everything God created for us to experience. He's the source of life and we've pushed him out of our life through our disobedience and, and so we have no life at all. No wonder we're not making the most out of life. But Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the death debt of our failure and sin and he took it into the tomb and he buried it in that dark and dank place and then he burst forth in new life and he says, now all you have to do is come to me. Because when I'm in you, you're not defined by your failures. You're defined by my forgiveness and freedom. What are you defined by? Look at First John chapter 1, verse 9. And this is written to both believers and unbelievers. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, confess, acknowledge our failures. Not hide them, but confess, acknowledge them. What did he do? He is good and just, and he will forgive us of our sins. Unlock us from those failures. Untie the anchors of our sin and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Why? Because failure's not final. Many of us are not living our lives, making the most of our lives, experiencing the best of life, life and life to the full. Many of us are like the failure in the parable of the talents because we only see ourselves as the failures we've been, as the failures other people have declared us to be. But it's time to change our attitude and the choice is yours. You can be defined by your failures, that's a choice, or you can be defined by his forgiveness and his freedom, that's a choice, the choice is yours. I think it's time to make the right one. So just before I bring this in for a a landing, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow, if you're already a believer here, a follower of Jesus, but you find that, like so often happens in my life, you're defined more by defeat and failure and what's happening to you rather than what's happening in you, it's time to confess that to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I haven't been experiencing your freedom and forgiveness. I've been walking in my failure. Forgive me. I want the well done. I want to live that kind of life. You might be here and say, you know, I was raised in religion or I've never been exposed to it at all. But I don't think I've ever experienced Jesus forgiving me really from the inside out ever if that's you then I'm gonna pray right now and I'm gonna encourage you you don't have to stand up you don't have to make yourself known you don't have to say it out loud but I'm gonna encourage you to take the words of my prayer make them your own to God and let them give you a brand new start just say God I'm a mess inside I'm more defined by what's happened to me than what's happening in me and it's just killing me I confess my sin my guilt I've disobeyed you I've lived without you but I'm claiming Jesus right now by faith Jesus I'm asking you based upon your death burial and resurrection to forgive me to come into me and make me new In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I finish this talk, if you prayed with me just now, I just really want to encourage you, let let us know, would you? We put together information we'd like to put in your hands about next steps you can take to know God better. And it's so easy. We put it in this program that you're handed. If you're in one of our live services, there's this little connection card thing right here. All you have to do is rip it out and on the bottom check that circle that says that you prayed to receive Jesus. Fill it out and there are boxes at every exit of all of our auditoriums at all of our different locations and we'll send you the information. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. In fact, I really want to encourage you this way. If, If you've received Jesus, start your next step immediately. Do you know what failure is? Disobedience. Do you know what Success is obedience. Today, we're doing something that's going to be something you'll want to experience no matter who you are. We're having this huge outside baptism event. I'm so excited. At 2 o'clock on our campus right here at Northridge Plymouth, we're having a huge baptism event. Hundreds of people getting baptized. And I believe right now some of you are in this auditorium, you're hearing this talk, and you're going... I've never been baptized after I put faith in Jesus to to say my failures no longer define me, but his forgiveness now defines me. By faith, I've trusted Jesus. Now I want to take a step of obedience. If you've never been baptized, you can do it today still. I mean, you can do it today at the 2 o'clock event. Just show up a little bit before the 2 o'clock event Go, follow the science, it's right here out on the campus and our team will tell you what's going on and what you have to do and love to have you participate in that. We'd love to have you baptized today and if you've already been baptized, come and enjoy and celebrate others doing it. Take that next step. Here's how I wanna close this talk. Attitude really does determine our altitude. I mean, it really does. But what determines our attitude? It's what we do with Jesus that determines our attitude. Jesus makes the difference between those who live according to what happens to them or in them. Without Jesus, all we have is what happens to us. But with Jesus, our failures aren't final, and we can overcome them. So the key is we need to walk with Jesus. You know what the truth is? Attitude determines your altitude, and it's my prayer that you'll make the choice this week for the rest of your life to fly higher because on your own all you're going to do is sink but with Jesus you can experience the most out of life and isn't that what you're looking for life and life to the full thanks for being here see you next time